In our gospel reading for this morning, Jesus predicts the second coming of the Son of Man. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Therefore, keep awake. Now, this is the kind of passage that is a favorite of doomsday preachers and novelists. It became mainstream back in the 1970s with Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, where he predicted the end of the world and the second coming in 1980. Ten years after he wrote the book, there was no second coming, and Hal Lindsey was a very wealthy man. Jerry Falwell predicted God would pour out his judgment on January 1, 2000. Pat Robertson said it would happen on April 29, 2007. The followers of Nostradamus insisted that the world was going to end by 1999. When that didn't happen, they quietly revised it to December 21, 2012. And who can ever forget the popular Left Behind novels, a 16-volume series that has made millions on books, movies, and games. At least we mainline Congregationalists believe we hail from a more sophisticated theology. Consider the following. A few weeks ago, a minister by the name of John Pope appeared in our church service. Following the postlude, he told me he was writing a book about New Haven and that he was a distant relative of John Davenport. And then he said this, the first settlers of New Haven, including John Davenport, believed passionately in the second coming of Christ. Additionally, the New Haven people went a step further and flattered themselves that they were the founding Christ's millennial kingdom, and that their city would be a seat of an empire where Christ would come in person and live with them for a thousand years. But that's not all. In his book, A Modern History of New Haven, Everett G. Hill writes this, the return of Christ is the reason the early fathers of New Haven devoted a ninth of their city to open space. See where I'm going here? (laughs) They needed a huge space because they expected not only the second coming of Christ, but the arrival of thousands of saints, hence the New Haven Green. Jesus preached, surely this generation, meaning his generation, will not pass away until all these things have taken place. That was over 2,000 years ago. What do you think? Did Jesus get it wrong? Well, it's entirely possible that he did. After all, Jesus, like all of us, was a product of his time and his culture. Biblical scholars all agree that he and his cousin John the Baptist were clearly apocalyptic preachers. They also agree that when the second coming did not happen after his generation, the early church began to focus more on Jesus' pastoral qualities than his prophetic ones. So the way I see it, we have two choices this morning. We can file this passage away with other stories in the Bible that are historically fixed and no longer all that helpful for today. Or we can reinterpret it for a new day. I'd like to offer the following reinterpretation. Perhaps Jesus was also talking about a perpetual second coming. 
a different way to keep awake for it. Did you notice in this passage that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man? Scholars tell us that Son of Man is a title for someone who is fully human. Jesus, we have been taught, was fully human and fully divine or full of the divine, or as I like to say, Jesus was a window to the divine. Keep awake, for the Son of Man is coming before this generation passes away. Note Jesus did not say, I am coming. Note he doesn't say the Son of God is coming. He says the Son of Man is coming. And so my reinterpretation for 2021. Perhaps the Son of Man here is referring not just to Jesus the man, but also the corporate body of Christ, the fully human body of Christ called the church, meaning you and me. Now that's a game changer. Instead of us waiting around for Jesus to come back and make things right, Jesus is actually waiting for us to come back and do it in his name. And he's been waiting a long time. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is not a title exclusive to Jesus. Rather, it was coined a thousand years before his birth. Emmanuel means God with us. It applies to Jesus, to be sure. However, I submit it can also apply to the body of Christ, the church. So Jesus is waiting for the church, empowered by his resurrected spirit, to be the second coming on earth over and over again. And how do we do this? How do we know when it's time to be the second coming? By keeping awake. By waking up to what is threatening the beauty and the sacredness of our world. By paying attention to the signs of the times. Signs of the times like global warming. Consider the wilting fig tree. Signs of the times that are tearing our country and our world apart the deepening political divide and the deepening racial divide, the growing gap between the super rich and the super poor, the flow of lies and the ebb of truth. We must keep awake to all of this. Keep awake. That's also a quiet whisper. It is also a deeply personal exhortation for all of us as well. And if we can do it, I promise you the result is great joy and deep, deep peace. One of the reoccurring themes in the writings of Thoreau is awakeness. In his chapter titled, Where I Lived and What I Live For, he writes, to be awake is to be alive. The Buddhist tradition uses the word enlightenment when India was on fire with his message, people came to Buddha and asked, Who are you? Who are you that you possess such knowledge and such peace? Are you a god, they asked him? No, Buddha replied. Are you an angel? You must be an angel. No, answered Buddha. A saint? Surely you must be a saint. No, he replied. Then what are you? Buddha answered, I am awake. When I read that, I was reminded of a photography class that I took my first year in college. On the first day of class, 25 freshmen were seated quietly in this room. 
and 10 minutes after the hour, there was no professor in sight. A quarter after the hour, we were getting ready to get up and leave and go have coffee and enjoy the day. And then suddenly he appeared. He was wearing a wool sweater and round wire glasses. He looked like a much older version of John Lennon. And he quietly walked into the classroom and without saying a word, he proceeded to crawl up and stand on top of his desk. He stood there on top of his desk just looking at us for the longest time. And then suddenly he said, do you know what's wrong with so many of us? It's that we live our lives at 6'2", or 5'8", or 4'9", and as a result, we seldom look right or left or up or down. We are often asleep to the fact that we are surrounded with beauty and grace. We are so mono-focused, he said. And what he did next, I will never forget. He led us all outside, and for the next 45 minutes, he had us kneeling down in the grass. He had us climbing up trees, He had us laying on our backs with our faces to the sky, teaching us to be alert, to be watchful, to be awake. Ah, but the lesson didn't stop there. On the second day of class, the first thing he did was explain the importance of the aperture, how closing the aperture meant that we were filtering out light and increasing our depth of field. And of course, the opposite held true. When we opened up the aperture, we were letting light in so we could better focus on what was close to us. That's why the church, in contrast to the surrounding culture, celebrates the four Sundays of Advent. And compared to what's happening out there with Black Friday weekend and Cyber Monday, it is incredibly countercultural. And believe me, to them, we seem as strange as that guy standing up on top of his desk. So instead of focusing solely on Christmas Day, beginning today, we come in here and we light one modest candle. Beginning today, we open up the apertures of our soul and let some light in, focusing on the beauty and the quietness of the moment. As in the days of Noah, it's not allowing ourselves to get swept up in a commercial flood so we don't wake up on December 26, drowning in debt. As in the days of Jesus, two will be grinding meal, one will be taken, one will be left. It's a warning not to let the holiday grind our busyness, our obsession with planning and preparing for Christmas Day, cause us to miss out on the wonder and the beauty and the sacredness of this season we call Advent. So the season of Advent is a beautiful reminder to resist focusing so much on the end, including Christmas morning, and then completely miss out on the Advent journey. So ask yourself this morning, has that ever happened to you? Do you sometimes spend so much time and energy focusing on Christmas Day, and when it's over, you experience a kind of low-level depression, like you miss something? That in spite of all your planning and your hard work, the Christmas joy came and went, and it felt like you were, well, left behind. If so, then I invite you to try a little Advent this year. Take it one day at a time. Just breathe. Be fully human, the son of man and the daughter of woman. Be justly and joyfully awake in the moment.